Welcome to Taking Care of Lady Business, where we put the business back in lady business. Hosted by Jennifer Justice, founder and CEO of the Justice Department, a management strategy and law firm that works with female and woke male entrepreneurs, executives, talent, brands, and creatives to build and maximize their wealth, focusing in the areas of tech, consumer product, finance, media, entertainment, and fashion. Jennifer interviews entrepreneurial women who have done it all, who will be sharing their secrets on all things business, especially as a woman. These highly successful women will share strategies and insights, including what not to do and what it takes to win. And now, here's your host, Jennifer Justice. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of Taking Care of Lady Business. I'm Jennifer Justice. Today, we have the fabulous Lisa Sun. She's the CEO and founder of Gravitas. Hi, Lisa. Hi, JJ. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited. I'm a regular listener of this podcast, so it's an honor to be on it. Well, thank you. We love listeners. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So Lisa and I have actually known each other for quite some time, and she has a very impressive background, and I'm going to let her tell you in her own words how it started, but we're also going to get into her upcoming book as well. But uh, let's first start with, you know, how you got here, how you started Gravitas. Yeah. And and JJ, I did the math last night while I was prepping for this. We've been friends for over a decade. And before I jump into my own story, I just want to thank you for walking the talk. I really feel like you are one of the people who I consider a role model and advisor for walking the talk of helping women succeed. And a lot of people can talk about it, but you actually put your actions, your money, your time against it. So I just want to say thank you. And that's why I'm so excited to be on your podcast Uh, because I've been the recipient of your generosity and your savvy uh, over a decade now, for over a decade now. Um, All right. So me, the three (laughs) things I I, now about me. Now on to you. Okay. I'm blushing. Stop. Now that I've told, well, people know this about you, JJ, but I don't know how many people take the time to say it to you. So I just want to say that out loud before we get going. So the three things I usually share about myself is I am the daughter of immigrants from Kaohsiung, Taiwan, and they came to the U.S. with no money. My mom worked on a hamburger truck. My dad worked on a loading dock. And every summer I worked in their Mongolian barbecue, all you can eat, four ninety five at lunch, eleven ninety five at dinner. And I really saw what it takes to create something from nothing. I don't think I'd be an entrepreneur today, today if I hadn't seen that live. Uh, the second thing is I spent 11 years at McKinsey and Company. Thank goodness for these Asian genetics. For the listeners, you may want to watch this on other formats so you can see how good these genetics are. <laughs> Most people stay 40, uh, you know, 24 months. I stayed 11 years. And it was awesome because I learned client service, I learned apprenticeship and mentorship, and I really was able to see what it takes to climb the corporate ladder, but also the drawbacks of it. And in 2013, I took my life savings along with angel investor money and started Gravitas. Uh, This company, the mission is to catalyze confidence. And the inspiration was my first boss at McKinsey told me I didn't have any Gravitas. She told me to buy a new dress, wear big jewelry and great shoes, which I think is kind of offensive if you're making $43,000 a year, size 18, 20, you know, that's kind of a weird piece of feedback. And when I asked her why, she said, when you wake up in the morning, you're the first person you have to look at in the mirror and you have to like yourself. I can teach you how to be good at this job, but I can't teach you how to like yourself. Dumbo did not need a feather to fly, but it reminded him that he could. 
So she said, I put on a great dress and it reminds me I can do this job. So we started the company in 2013, September, 2013, we launched uh, the first product is we patented building shapewear into clothes. Thank you, JJ, for being one of our first spokespeople and models for the product. And within six weeks of launching, we had two pages in Oprah magazine, uh, a page in People magazine, and we we're on the Today Show all in the same month, which really changes your life. Um, but more than anything, we started to get letters and emails from real women talking about how the clothes had helped them, whether it was a flight attendant who'd lost her job and bought a dress to go to her mom's funeral and to interview for a new job, a woman going through divorce who needed a dress for her son's graduation. And we helped her and also helped her interview for a new job. And uh, a judge in Los Angeles, she ran to be the youngest woman judge in LA Superior Court. She sold her house, by the way, to get elected. She won with 62% of the vote. And she sent us a video of her sons putting the judge's robes over her gravitas dress. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the company really, while we started in fashion, the real mission is to help women see something good in themselves and believe in themselves. And so now, you know, you're 10 years in, right? It's crazy to think. Nine, nine and a half. Almost 10, almost 10. I don't count the pandemic years, though, because we made hospital gowns and face masks. Yeah, I know. So I almost discount it, but yeah. Right. So you started with mostly dresses and shapewear, with shapewear in dresses, and then you've expanded the clothing line. Tell us how. Well, the way we think about the clothing line is you're never going to own a hundred percent of a woman's closet. So we step back and think about what role do we play in her closet? And I always say, we're the most valuable player. We're the MVP in the closet. We're the one that she gets complimented in, or there's something functional, like uh, the best-selling product this year is a jumpsuit that you don't have to get naked in the bathroom to go to the bathroom. It actually has side zips so you can stay fully dressed. So I tell my team when we're designing products, we're never going to be full collection, right? We're never going to be, but we're the thing that when she puts on, like the shirt I have on today is our International Women's Day shirt that that has newspaper articles from the day we got the right to vote. This has been last year's bestseller because every woman emails us saying, do you know how many people stop me at an event or in the office to ask me what's on my shirt? That is gravitas, right? That is confidence when, you know, I, I could sell black pants and black blazers, but everyone's doing that. I've got to compete against thousands of other brands when she's thinking about what to buy. And we're often considered, you know, that's the one thing I'm going to splurge on because it's going to give me that extra boost. It's going to make me feel good about myself. It's going to be a conversation starter, or it's going to make me feel freaking smart when I'm in the bathroom stall and every woman in a jumpsuit is getting fully naked. And I'm like smug about the fact that I don't have to get naked. Right. And I think that allows us to expand the collection with our customers because they may have can't come in through one great little black dress with shapewear, but then they add a cape blazer. They add a International Women's Day shirt. They add a jumpsuit that they feel really smart in. Uh, and that, that I think, has been really a good use of resources as well. We don't have to develop 80 styles every season. We design four to six styles every eight weeks that really are thoughtful, well-designed. And by the way, size zero to 28W. I like to say we were size inclusive before it was cool to be yeah, size inclusive. That right? is we true. were way ahead of the curve on that one, mostly because I used to be a size 20. Um, And you've seen me, I'm up and down and up and down again, and I'm totally fine with it. Just be happy where you are now. Yeah, exactly. That definitely would set you uh, apart for quite a while too, you know? 
so in doing all of this and building it, like you came from consulting into this, like what was that transition? How did you have the gravitas to do that? <laughs> well, no one prepares you for this. And this is why I always tell my parents' story when I tell my own story is I don't think I appreciated the amount of perseverance and resilience it takes to run a company. It's fun to launch a company. Everyone will tell you it's fun to launch it. It's really hard to run it. I credit McKinsey with giving me the network, the connections, the, uh, I would say, coaching skills, leadership skills, uh, industry knowledge. But the day-to-day of my job, you know, running a company, an apparel company, is really hard. The only thing most people see from the outside is the Fashion Week show or the pretty Instagrams or the models. That is less than 20% of what it takes. 80% is managing cash flow making your monthly uh, payroll, health insurance, rent, uh, making sure that you can get a product out to market. That I don't think I appreciate. And I almost feel like working in my parents' restaurant prepared me better to right. do some of the tougher things that I didn't know. I didn't know what I didn't know. So the transition, I think, was pretty challenging for two reasons. One, uh, just the mechanics of running a business. I don't think I was fully prepared for it. And it, there was a steep learning curve. Um, the second thing though, is getting over the fact that you have status stripped away from you pretty quickly. And what I mean by that is when you tell people you went to a fancy college and you went to McKinsey, you know, that for a certain group of people places you from a status standpoint, when you say you run a fashion company at a dinner party, and I'll be open with you because I know this is the the tenor of this podcast, uh, people like, Oh, that's so sweet. Did your dad give you the money? You know, no, I'm telling you when you tell people you run a fashion company, it's almost belittling and it almost takes away from the over decade of real life experience I've had. It's almost demeaning. I'm just going to say that because for anyone who's doing this, you know, you don't have the corporate Amex, you don't have. And what I'm lucky is for friends like you and people who worked with me in the past and industry insiders who knew that I was building something different and I'm still trying to do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, JJ. No, but, it totally it wasn't an exactly easy transition. Answers the question because not every journey is just like a linear thing. And, you know, everybody, you know, I think a lot of my listeners are either starting businesses, have businesses or thinking about doing it. And, you know, it's not all roses. Everybody hears about the things that like come out and they make you an instant billionaire, but that's like very, very rare. And it usually happens to men, you know, and it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it and you shouldn't start it. I'm all for starting your own business, you know, but you should know what you're getting into. Also, you know, that it's just because you start doing one thing doesn't mean that that's what you're doing for the rest of your life, which is like a really scary thing when you're getting to college and you're like, I don't know what I'm major in. And it's like, that doesn't necessarily, you know, define the rest of your life. Well, you've said two things that the first is I tell everyone who's an entrepreneur, especially women of color, women entrepreneurs, I say, number one, you don't get written about until you've succeeded. Mm -hmm. Okay. And we never read about the 90% plus of women entrepreneurs who every single day feel alone, especially if you don't have a co-founder. And the burden is solely on you. It doesn't matter how great your team is. No one's sitting in your shoes at the end of the month, closing the books. Yeah. Uh, I actually have a group. I have two groups. I have a group of um, entrepreneurs, Anna Kaiser and Jane Park. We have a text thread where on the last day of the month, we congratulate each other on closing the books. And we say, I see you. I know how hard that was. I know you're 
You're literally killing yourself to make payroll. And I see you because no one's going to give you that pat on the back. So that's one group thread I have. And then I have a group thread of Asian female founders where we have a code word called emotional support. And I got one of these text messages on Sunday and it's just emotional support. Whoever can call me right now, please call me. Mm -hmm. And the Asian female founder, she was doing this crazy, awesome launch that has done really well, but she'd worked all weekend and she's single and she's feeling like she can't find a partner in life. And she just needed someone to call for 20 minutes, just who understood and who wouldn't judge her. Yeah, And I think that's really important as entrepreneurs to have these judgment-free people in your life where you can be fully vulnerable. Yeah, um, Like Anna Kaiser and Jane Park, March 2020, JJ, and you know this because I sat down and told you this tearful story. The sales of my company were negative Yeah, because we have a 30-day return policy. We refunded more than we sold. So if you bought something on March 10th and we went into lockdown March 13th to 17th, you put it in a box and you sent it right back to us. And there were very few people I could tell at that point in time that yeah. our sales were negative. Yeah. And I had one of my angel investors call and say, Mount Sinai needs hospital gowns. Can mm-hmm. you make hospital gowns? And I had the CEO of HelloFresh, who is an ex-McKinsey person, say, we need 2,500 face masks in our Newark, New Jersey mm-hmm. uh, facility. Can you help? And it was a 72-day period from April 3rd to July 13th where my team made PPE. We made personal protective equipment. Mm-hmm. But that only comes because you're missing a step. You forgot to say how you um, Gravitas also owns a factory. Yes, we have our own factory. Oh, sorry. I did. I missed that. Um, Which is who during a who during this time frame decides we have three factories in China and then we have a full floor factory on 39th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue in Midtown Manhattan, right in the garment district. And so I brought everyone back to work April 3rd. But that is also a huge burden, by the way, during a pandemic to keep everyone able to feed their families and make rent and pay for their groceries. But where I was going with this is I didn't feel comfortable talking about that until August, September of 2020, right? I was going through this very dark journey Mm -hmm. and uh, that's what people don't talk about in entrepreneurship, right? We don't really talk about all this dark stuff. And I'm one of the few people that unfortunately, unfortunately I wear my heart on my sleeve. So I'm proud now of what we did but it was an incredibly dark time. And I remember dropping off fabric at your house, JJ, because we lived yeah. near each other in Tribeca because you were making face masks for your family. I was because I know how and to sew. Little did yeah, you know. Yeah, you do know how to sew. <laughs> and you said, I don't need any face masks. I don't want to take away from people who really need them, Lisa. But if you have some extra fabric. Yeah. And I remember I dropped off a little pouch at your door yeah. with your doorman. Yeah. And the, um, um, and I printed out the um, the patterns. That I emailed you, right? Yeah. Or I think, yeah, uh, which I have right here. Like I, we still kept them. They're like a yeah. memorial to like yeah. the, the perseverance. But if I can leave, you know, if you have listeners that are going through this journey, you're not alone and you need to find people that you can be that vulnerable with because it's too hard uh, to do yeah. it alone. But when we link we talk arms, about that a lot, finding the yeah, tribe, sure. finding your tribe of people, um, you know, who can support you. They might not even be your best friends. They might not be somebody you want to have a drink with, but there's somebody who's going through what you're going through. And they're also, um, you know, willing to support you and help lift you up in those times that you need it the most, you know, yeah. and that's so important. Um, and it's back to like women talking, walking the talk, you know. And that's something I I know that you do for me, JJ, and I'll just say this, which is when someone says, I see you and I believe in you, it creates the sense of courage that I'm not alone. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And it overcomes that fear of failure. I really think I see you. I know how hard you're trying and I believe in you makes a huge difference in people's lives. Um, and I'm lucky that I have a few people that do that for me. Yeah, no, definitely. I love those groups for sure. I know a lot of women that could benefit from that. Um, okay. So let's talk about why you, uh, the factory and why you got like, how did you come across that and think about doing that? Because that means everything is made here in New York city, which is very rare. <laughs> yeah. So, well, I mean, in 2016, we expanded into department stores and HSN and uh, we got a number of wholesale accounts. So we started made in New York. We started made in New York using other people's factories. And in 2016, we expanded into wholesale. So I did go and develop joint ventures in China. So we do half of our products are still made in China. And we are a part of those joint ventures because because of my McKinsey background, a lot of people will come to us asking where to produce. And I figured we should get a piece of that action too. So if you want to make clothes, we can help you do that, right? Because we have an entire production line set up. And so it's not just Gravitas that we make clothes for, we make clothes for other brands as well. And I did that from the beginning, because if Gravitas has a hard month, or it's volatile, we're able to actually take other people's orders to offset that. And that's a little known thing about what we do. But in uh 2019, 2020, I realized that number one, uh, China takes four to six months. It just does. And the volumes are really high to make clothing. And I thought, hey, sometimes we just want to test something. I just want to make 200 pieces and see if it works. And I want to do it in six weeks. And I want to wait six months for it to come over. And we uh, partnered with a Taiwanese couple who I've known for years, Julie and Michael, And I said, hey, you know, if I just guaranteed you three or four styles a month, would that help? Would that give you something to work on? But for us, we could quickly do something like uh, Mm -hmm. the Kate Blazer, which I know you have, JJ. Those were made in New York because we could just get it out there and see if people liked it. Eventually, we did end up producing thousands of them in China, right? But for a year, it was all made in New York because I wanted to see if it was going to sell. Yeah. And I thought, wow, this is really cool to be so fast and nimble. It is more expensive. It is three times the labor price. But guess what? I don't have to hold that much inventory. I don't have to actually worry about ending up with 2,000 units that nobody buys, right? It's very, very cost efficient, waste efficient, or it helps with waste. And I don't have to discount at the end of the season because I made 100 and I sold out in a day, right? It, It was a really cool idea. And so I told my team, let's take half of all our styles and always start making them in New York because we'll know what sells. And if something really takes off like this jumpsuit, we will send it to China because Mm -hmm. we'll be more cost efficient on it. Well, it turned out to be a real boon for us because during the pandemic, having a factory in New York City when everyone was having supply chain issues was pretty awesome. Yeah, We could make hospital gowns, we could make face masks, and we ended up taking an investment position with Michael and Julie and co-owning this factory, which in January, 2021, I realized we could pivot a huge portion of our assortment to almost like a farm to table idea. You know, when you go to a great restaurant and they show you all the local farms that your entree is coming from, no one was really buying workwear yet. And so I said, let's make handbags, let's make other things. But on the handbag, you get a card that says how many hours of someone's job you saved in New York City. And people got really emotional about it, right? Because I I think our handbag is the same price as like an MZ Wallace, a Michael Kors. It's $300 handbag. 
But guess what? It says three hours of someone's job in New York City was saved because of your handbag. Yeah. And that became a marketing play on top of just a supply chain working capital play. Uh, We also learned that you can pre-order, right? Someone can, we can say someone, you'll have it in six to eight weeks, but this is something brand new and it'll be made in New York. And it allowed us to test what works and doesn't. Um, But it's cool every day I walk into work and I know uh, at the end of this, I'll take you on Zoom and I'll take you, I'll walk you into the factory. Amazing. It's a pretty cool thing to see. Um, Okay. And so after all of this, you've decided I got to write a book about it. Tell us about that. (laughs) Well, the book is not really my personal story. The book is really about what it's like to be in the dressing room with me. And I'll explain what that means. And I had this realization a few years ago. And JJ, I know you have kids. We are born fully self-confident, right? Ask any five-year-old what they're the best at in the world. I'm the best at hugs. I'm the best at soccer. I'm the best at everything. Yeah. And then at some point, and it's happening earlier and earlier because these kids are getting phones, we lose that. We become self-aware. We get self-doubt. We start to lose that sense of possibility. And it kicks off this lifelong balancing act of being self-conscious and self-confident. Right. Yeah. And most of us choose to be self-conscious. So we default to comfort zones. We're afraid to take on things. And I realized when people came into the dressing room with me, every woman does not matter who they are, walks into a dressing room with self-loathing. Yeah. Okay. Or when you're shopping online, you're like, I'm going to buy five things, but I'll probably have to go to the post office and return all of them. Or yeah. I'm going to grab five things and nothing's going to fit. And you're sitting in the dressing room and you blame yourself frankly, if something doesn't fit versus blaming the product, right? Women walk into the dressing room the way they walk into every single day with self-loathing. Yeah. And so when uh, I still dress thousands of women every year in our confidence closet, we call it a confidence closet. And I don't let women do that. I say for 10 minutes, we're not going to talk about clothes. In fact, we've pulled a rack of clothes and my job is to find something that fits you, not for you to fit into it. I'm a dress whisperer. I'm like, but for 10 minutes, I'm going to ask you better like, what are you the best at in the world? Tell me something you're really proud of. You know, I ask a series of questions that have nothing to do with the clothing and it changes the chemistry of the room. She starts to go, okay, all right. I feel good about myself. I didn't see these things in myself. And then inevitably uh, the woman comes out of the dressing room. By the way, we don't allow mirrors inside of dressing rooms because it's a trigger for a deficit mindset. As soon as you see yourself semi-naked, you don't even want to try on clothes, right? Also, like like the lighting, why are people- I know. What the hell? The lighting, the mirror. Why do we need that inside that room, right? So our lighting's beautiful. We don't allow mirrors. There's lovely chair. But you come out and you look at the mirror and she goes, oh my God, this is a skinny mirror. I'm like, nope, it's from Bed Bath & Beyond. It's $29.95. It's not a skinny mirror. She goes, what did you do? I said, first of all, we're really good at making clothes, right? We do design with a woman's body in mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but secondly, you have been setting yourself up to fail in the dressing room. And you have to set yourself up for the best positive possible interaction with the clothing. And so I took that idea and I realized I should write a book about it because not everyone can afford our product. Not everyone can get dressed by me. But how in a book form could you give people that moment in that dressing room? That 15 minutes where you start to see the best in yourself, where you start to celebrate your unique strengths. And so I came up with this idea to write this book about how to have gravitas, how to have confidence. But what I realized is quickly, there are thousands of books on confidence. Yeah. And they are all one note. 
Yeah. Okay. They are a single way of looking at it, mostly defined by the patriarchy. Yeah. When I say to you, be more confident, which is what society has told us, you puff up your chest, you stand on a stage, you speak up. And what I realize is that is only one or two forms of confidence. There's actually eight other forms of confidence, some of which are even more powerful mm-hmm. than being the loudest, most swaggery person in the room. Yeah. Everybody talks about that TED talk with Amy Cuddy and like standing in a power pose. And it's like, but it's not natural. And I don't believe in faking it to make it. I believe in an unshakable, in your bones, belief in yourself that's rooted in something real. Yeah. And that's something you and I have always talked about. Women have to know what they're the best at. You have to believe it before anyone else is going to. Why would someone believe in you if you don't believe in yourself? Exactly. Um, So we did this quantitative study of thousands of women in America, and we identified eight forms of confidence. And you take a quiz, you figure out your confidence language. It's like a love language. But most women have two or three. Some women, like my mother, have all eight. But you realize, oh, wow, that's why I deserve to be in this room. These are the two or three superpowers that I have that no one else has. But more importantly, we then took 31 situations in life. And we said, for these 31 situations, which superpower do you need to win? Because there might be some situations where your confidence language is not enough. So, for example, asking for a raise and asking for a promotion are two different superpowers. Mm -hmm. When we started showing women the data, they're like, oh, my God, that's why I've been trying to ask for money and a promotion at the same time. And you're telling me it's two different skills. Okay, that makes sense to me now. So this book is really a primer for women to discover their confidence language, realize why they should believe in themselves. And more importantly, for the things they want in life, which other superpowers they need. As women climb the corporate ladder, they go from having two superpowers on average to having over four. And I really want to create a step-by-step approach, like being in the dressing room with me, of believing yourself from someplace that's really rooted in something tangible, but then helping people stretch and grow and evolve. Mm-hmm. So that's a long-winded way of saying the book's going to help you believe in yourself in a way that you never have before. And show you other ways to to claim confidence, right? Yeah. Yeah. But the thing that made me the most angry, um, and I know this is something you talk about all the time, is in 2013, Janet Yellen was nominated to be the first woman head of the U.S. Federal Reserve. If you go Google that moment, there were so many articles about how she didn't have the gravitas to leave the bed. <laughs> okay. Yeah, Kim, I don't and, think you can say that about her now. And Ezra Klein at the Washington Post wrote an op-ed that called out all those naysayers. And he goes, are you kidding me? How does she not have gravitas? Is it because she doesn't fit the stereotypical view of confidence? She's soft-spoken. She's passive. She's reserved. She works from, but she is so qualified. Why do we label her as not having gravitas? Because she doesn't have these characteristics that most men do. And she was confirmed with the narrowest margin in history. But that made me angry that we have a single definition as a society of what it means to be confident. How come she can't be labeled as having gravitas? And she's been so successful, right? She's our uh, Secretary of Treasury now. She predicted inflation when the stimulus package was released. So it angered me that there was not a more inclusive vocabulary for how we consider people to be confident. Yeah. Amazing. So when is it coming out? It comes out September 12th, but it's already available for pre-order. Oh, amazing. Amazon, What's Barnes & Noble, Target, Walmart. It's called Gravitas, the eight strengths that redefine confidence. But it's 
available for pre-order now. So uh, please pre-order it because that helps us make that week one list. Um, that's really important. Um, although yeah, if we don't make the list, I'm okay too. I'm okay. I've given up on status as a driver of self-worth. You know, one of the things that I think the pandemic taught me is I realized I tied so much of my self-worth to certain metrics. Right. Right. That, you know, the sales target, the number, all of these things, I really tied up my self-worth with these external benchmarks and it really drove me crazy. Yeah. And so every time there's, you know, and I know we all feel this, the envy of like that 40 under 40 list or the 30 and you're not on it and, and you're scrolling through Instagram and you're seeing all these things. And I realized that I could tie my self-worth to the quality of my character, right? Yeah. There was this moment during the pandemic when I was walking from Midtown to Tribeca because I wasn't taking public transport where I was just like, I'm, an, I, I'm not going to make it, right? I can't, I don't know how this company goes on. And I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to take stock of all the things I've done today. And I was like, I made sure 22 people get to feed their families, mm -hmm. right? I made sure that, 2000 customers have face masks to protect themselves when no one can get face masks. You know, I had to like take stock of these other metrics that are not public facing. Yeah. There's no award yeah. documenting your success for yourself. Yeah. And I got home, by the way, I did stop by pasties for a frosé because they were serving the frosé outside. Yeah, I know I that the frosé helped time, me. Actually, the, the being able to drink and walk uh, around New York City was a good time. Yeah, I know. I mean, the beverage definitely helped as I was going through this like internal monologue. And so it's funny going into promoting this book because I know everyone wants to be on that New York Times bestseller list or the Wall Street Journal bestsellers. I've had so many friends try to get on the list and haven't. And I've had those tearful phone calls when they haven't made the list. And I thought to myself, you know what? It's okay. I'm going to do everything I can to try to make this a bestseller. I am. There's no way I'm not going to. Yeah. But I'm also okay if we don't, because I know the book yeah. is going to make a difference for people. Yeah. I, I mean, know that's it's a good really, book. What it, let's not forget too. Elizabeth, you know, Hall from Theranos was on the cover of every magazine. Okay. Mm. Like we all know what happened there. Same yes. with Adam Newman. You know, we all know what happened. Yes. Did they get rich? I mean, she's in jail. Like, you know what I mean? It's, yeah. it's like, and let's not, there's all these people on these lists but they own like 0.5% of their company, yeah. you know, like yeah. because they've done such horrible deals and then yeah. so you just like never know. So all the outside status and all of that outside, you know, it doesn't mean anything. Yeah. And, you know, granted only like agent experience teaches you that. So it's really hard to step away and be like, like, I, you know, I used to be the coolest person ever because who I represented. And I was like, but this is not good for me mentally. I need to step away. And I don't care. Like, I don't care at all. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? My self-worth is so much more, you know, like, it's like so much higher because I know that what I am doing is so important and same like with your book, you know what I mean? So it's just not measured by that. And, you know, look, you sometimes, you know, doing a book deal comes, and I know you did a book deal, but like, a lot of times you get on those lists because you did a book deal that sold your soul. Like you'll never see another dime, you know, let's not like, so there's so much more to it and there's so much more context that people don't understand, you know, and those outward metrics. So, you know, good for you. I, no. And JJ, I will but say if you this. make it, that's still good too. <laughs> no, no, I know. It, it, it's sort of like, why are you doing it? Right. Yeah. Are you doing it? Because, and I think that's your point. And, and by the way, yeah. when I, 
in your previous life, I never felt like you were doing it for the status. I knew that you were doing it for the artist. You were doing you were yeah. doing it for the I right reason. Doing it for the status, but I got the status because you got the status. Care about it was you know, nice. unfortunately. But I feel like we're on an episode of The Bachelorette. Like, are you doing it for the right reasons? Are you here for the right reasons? Let's be and- clear. No one's doing The Bachelorette to find love. <laughs> the horrible example. <laughs> well, it's the catchphrase, right? Are you do Are you here for the right reasons? Yeah, exactly. Um, and I think that's really what was, you know, writing a book is a soul-sucking experience. It is a soul-sucking experience. It, and right before you submit the final manuscript, you have this moment of like, did I just waste the last year of my life? Like, does anyone really need this book? Like, I literally, I talked to a lot of people who've submitted their books. They're like, oh no, you definitely feel that way. You're like, have I just wasted this time, right? And at the end of all this, I was like, I know the book helps people because there's a lot of stories in the book of real women who we've yeah. helped. I know it works and I know it continues to work. And so as long as whoever gets the book in their hands and they take away two or three things that make them feel better about who they are as a person, then we've won. Yeah. All of the bestsellers, all the accolades would be nice, but it's not why I did it. It's really not why I wrote it. I wrote it because most women can't go to a conference or an event and get dressed by me. Most women might not be able to afford a 300 or $400 dress, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do you give people that same message around catalyzing confidence in their life without having that interaction with me or coming to our website and buying something from us? Yeah. And that's really where the book, I think, will will make a difference for people. Amazing. I'm so looking forward to it. Um, so thank you for all of this. And thank you for coming on. There's one question I ask everyone, as you know, and that is, what is the worst advice you have ever received? I know. And I was thinking about this last night, JJ, and I've gotten so much bad advice over the years. I've gotten so much bad advice over the years. You know, the piece of advice I was thinking about was uh, to play the game. And when I I love my time at McKinsey, I really, really loved my time at McKinsey. I don't think I'd have the life I have today without that 11-year experience. At the same time, there was a point where someone told me to fit in. And and I think that's really hard as a woman of color, right? Is every day you're making that choice between fitting in and standing out. And that person really told me, well, if you want to make senior partner for the next year, you got to just play nice and play yeah. the game. That's such a good line. Do you want to fit in or stand out? I love that. Yeah. And I thought to myself, my mom, when I was growing up, when, by the way, whenever my parents couldn't afford to buy me something, I'd be like, but everyone has them. And she'd be like, you'll not want to be like everyone else. Yeah. You, Lisa. Okay. And that I now know was the excuse of like the LA gear high tops with rhinestones were too expensive and not yeah. in the family budget. I'm convinced now that's why I needed this, you know, not be like everyone else. And I was special. But this person gave me this advice that for the next year, here's your plan, right? You will do two client things. You will basically kiss up to this person to get on this big team. You will book. And I walked out of the room and I thought, that is so not me. Mm-hmm. That is so not me. It is the worst piece of advice when someone tells you to fit in and play the game and play by our rules. And yeah. ultimately, I had another mentor give me the opposite advice. She, uh, I had tried to make senior partner at the firm for six years. By the way, that's the oldest uh, junior partner you'll ever ever. I'm the oldest junior partner at McKinsey, by the way, because no one makes it six years. Usually it's two years and you're up or out. 
And at the last time I tried to make senior partner, I had a mentor sit down and goes, Lisa, I just want you to know, I think you're going to be more important on the outside than on the inside. And this place is not for you. And I was in tears, right? I was like, are you you not going to support my life? No, she's like, no, I wrote the most, the greatest evaluation. I told them how wonderful you are, but I really think you're going to do more important things outside of this place. And Mm -hmm. this place is not for you. And I wish she had told me that three years earlier. I really think I could have been living closer to my truth. Instead, I took this other piece of bad advice to try and fit in and play that game. Yeah. And it wasn't who I was. I really wish I'd had the strength at that point to say, no, maybe this place yeah. isn't for me. I have a hard time walking away because I was raised by a tiger mom, right? Yeah. We hold on for dear life yeah. to try and get that brass ring. Yeah. Wow. Well, thank you. That was amazing. Thank you so much. Now, people want to find you. How do they do that? And Gravitas? So, web- website is Gravitas New York. Uh, New York is spelled out.com. It's also our social media handle. And then you can find me. I'm L-I-S-A-L-S-U-N on all social media channels. And JJ, before we go, though, I'm going to unplug my ring light and show you the factory because it's really fun. I know you do some video, so I thought it'd be fun. To oh, yeah, show yeah, yeah. No, of course. Ah. What it's like. All right, let's do it. Here we go. Yep. There you go. This Amazing. is the working New York City factory. Oh, I don't want to fall. Um, <laughs> Break your whole complete. Yeah, I know. So I'm talking to you in our conference room, but uh, I love. But it's it. fun to Thank see you. That literally Thank on you for that nights. little field trip. We don't get yeah. that often here. But thirty um, nights between seventh and eighth. <laughs> I love it. Thank you so much. And the book is called again. Gravitas: The Eight Strengths That Redefine Confidence, and you can find it on Barnes and Noble, Amazon, Hudson Booksellers, Target, basically anywhere a book is sold. Pre-order it now! Amazing. Thank Thank you you so much, Lisa. Thank you everyone for watching this episode and listening to this episode of Taking Care of Lady (laughs) Business. Until next time, I'm Jennifer Justice.